On today's episode, Dave interviews Patrick Bristow. Patrick has been in Austin Powers, So I Married an Axe Murderer, The Transformers, Showgirls, and The Longest Yard. On television, Patrick has appeared in Ellen, Curb Your Enthusiasm, King of the Hill, Malcolm in the Middle, and Family Guy. Patrick's an alum of The Groundlings and has toured worldwide with The Stuffed and Unstrung with The Jim Henson Company. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. All right, very good. So uh, we were just talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> yeah, we are. We were, or the yeah. grease. From, the grease there, yeah. The grease, the grease to be there. more specific. Yeah. No, I, I, for me, I feel like people aren't thinking, and that's, and I don't, you know, I, I really don't want to be the curmudgeonly old man, mm. but sometimes I am. <laughs> like sometimes I like, and I find myself doing this like certain at the at the laundromat. I think I might have mentioned this in a podcast too. This <laughs> story, where a, I go up, there's a guy eating a full-on burrito, laying it on the folding table, and I, and I don't know what I, I don't know what I was thinking. I just said. You're eating a burrito on the folding table. And he said, yeah, I'm just so hungry. I'm thinking, you totally missed the point. Yeah, right? Absolutely and totally missed the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point, and he goes, I just came on a vacation. And boy, it was a great vacation. I'm like, oh my wow, God. wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you really missed the point. <laughs> you completely missed the point. Yeah. But the idea of uh, that mind, the mindfulness of living your life, um, you... You've been doing improv for how long? God, I guess about 30 years. 30 years, right? Yeah, yeah. 30 years. Same thing with me. Yeah, right. Was there a point where you went, oh, this isn't, what, at what point, because I know you did. I just know you did. You can't hide it from me. <laughs> at what point did you, <laughs> at what point did you go, oh, this is about life too? Oh, wow. Um, I think a couple years in, I think a couple years in, I was doing the Sunday Company at the Groundlands, and I just had a series of just epiphanies that were just a little bit like a, a domino fall. And uh, I began to realize that I was unconsciously applying good listening um, or my better listening. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and, um, and, and a sense of yes and to life. Even if I didn't like something, I was accepting that it was there. Right. And prior to improv, I think um, I probably exercised a little bit more denial and that Instead of seeing something, seeing the shape of it. Right. right. Hearing the shape of what someone said, but not hearing what they said. Right. And then uh, I saw the benefits in my own life because socially, you know, up to that point and continuing at varying degrees, I'm socially a little bit awkward. And I've learned to accept that. It's just mm -hmm. part of the Patrick package. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it has costs and sometimes it doesn't. But um, uh, it has been lessened, I think, because of my involvement in improv and teaching improv especially. Right. Even right. more so than doing it. Uh, the idea of being, that, that concept of being socially awkward, uh -huh. I, don't, I don't know that I've ever felt that way. I'm mean, certainly good. when I was 15, 13, 14, 15. But here's the thing. What I'm, saying, what I'm about to say is it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Right. The fact that you consider yourself socially awkward, which isn't socially awkward to you, to you it's de rigueur. To you it's your life. Yeah, yeah. Compared to everybody else, someone can right. easily, you're looking at those people looking at you. And so the statement of you being right. socially awkward is not you saying it. It's someone else saying it. And it's an assumption, and it's an assumption on my part that that is what's happening. What, that is what they're saying. Right. Right. Um, but sometimes I know it's undeniable. Uh -huh. <laughs> I really literally just come out with something that is so uh, out of left field. Mm -hmm. It's uh, appropriate and followable to me. But then, you know, the people around me will turn into the RCA dog. Right. You know, they'll tilt their head kind uh -huh. of like, am I hearing what I'm hearing? Right. And I have to go back and do a little clarification or something. Um, the, the other thing about the, the whole social awkward thing is that 
it's based on fashion. What was socially awkward 50 years ago is not socially awkward now. What is socially awkward now is not what it will be in another 50 years, to a degree. Right. Well, whenever I have somebody coming over for a podcast interview, I, I go over things. Certainly, I go over what you've done. But I also go over, where am I right now in my life, mm -hmm. in the in in the middle, it blanketed by the events that that I that are around me. Yeah, and I feel like so you're talking about this being social. What was socially awkward 50 years ago isn't socially awkward now by small degrees. I believe you said something like that. But I believe that right now is just one of them. It it's we live right now in just such amazing times. Right, and you're married. <laughs> yes, you know I what am. I mean. Yeah. Like, who would have thought? Not like who would have thought that Patrick Bristow would be married, but oh. married like you are in this relationship. Like when you were growing up and you're going through what it is that you're going through, like the idea of going, wait a minute, not only are you married, but you probably know seven, eight, nine, thirty couples, I don't know, who are married. Right. It was not uh, it was not a possibility in my mind in my teen years. Right. You know? Um that uh that the entire uh idea of being out as a gay person. Right was really possible. Right. Let alone to be out as a gay person, to be married, to have <laughs> secured rights, to have, uh, you know, at least I'm living in Los Angeles, to have neighbors that are like, oh, is that your husband? Great. Right. You know, and everything be so matter of fact. Right. Something happened to me. I was teaching in Miami uh, a couple weeks ago, and this woman in class, she was wearing this huge diamond ring. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> and a really beautiful one. Um, just adorable. And we're talking about because lately what I've been thinking about is we, in improvisation, we teach, we show our partner how we want them to breathe. Mm. So we enter a scene and I go, Jim, they're here. I'm showing you how I want you to breathe. Hmm. So the moment that you start breathing that way, when you stop breathing that way and breathe another way, right. the scene has changed. Yes, exactly. So that's where I am with that, right. to take it on, on a respiratory level. Oh, that's fascinating. It's really interesting. It's really a cool thing, and I've been really like, schlepping this around all over teaching that. Cool. It's really, it's just so awesome, because it, it shows people in that moment, they don't have to think about it. All they have to do is be aware of right. what they're, how they're breathing at the beginning of that scene, and then they have this kinesthetic response when something else comes up, and they're suddenly in the second beat of the scene. That's fantastic. It's really exciting, Patrick. That is fantastic. It's really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, so I said to this woman, uh, I said, okay, so oh, I was, I'm describing this. I said, okay, so you're married. Your husband walks in. She goes, wife. I said, oh, wife. That was the first time that's ever happened. Right. Yeah. And... I went, oh like, my God. Everything I, converged. It caught up with you. You caught up with it. Culture, you know, right, just everything kind of right. crashed into each other. And I wanted right. everybody to share that moment. It right. wasn't just my moment. Yeah. Because at that moment, I could look at that and go, oh, that could be an awkward moment. Or that could be a moment where, look at the world that we live in right, right now. It's fascinating. It's like so many things have been ramped up. You know, I mean, there's so many positive things that uh, we couldn't have expected as kids in the 70s. There are so many negative things that we couldn't have expected 10 minutes ago. Oh, my God, right? You we know? thought we were over a lot of the shit. No kidding. You know that whole thing about like, oh, you know, well, when this next generation dies out, racism, racism will be over. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Right. There are t terribly racist eight-year-olds out there that are going to get nothing but worse. Right. 
you know right, there's right, this, right. this whole idea of like oh the um the get off my lawn generation is dying it's right like, no no i'm going i'm moving into that generation yeah so, to a degree you know <laughs> but i but that yeah the get off my lawn generation. but you'll just be angry at people making uh, eating burritos on your lawn it right be, yeah oh, but there's other things come on sure i love I, it's like <laughs> I, 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 for me it's like oh what what uh, was that called? Easter egg? Is that what you go where you're finding something? Uh, an Easter egg hunt, yeah. Yeah, I'm an Easter egg hunt where it's like, I wonder what little Easter egg thing that's going to pop out that I'm going to go, oh, that bothers me too. Right. That bothers me too. Uh, but to look at it and go, oh my God, I'm allowing this stuff to bother me. It's, you know, uh, you travel a lot? Yeah. So you know what it's like to be on an airplane and there's somebody sitting next to you and just going, how is this person going to bother me for four hours? What are they going to do? Yeah, right? <laughs> I, try to, um, I, I, I try to just kind of uh, accept and, you know, and fool, fool myself, basically. Use denial as leverage to make something enjoyable. It's like, okay... It's only, you know, X amount of hours, although right. we've both gone to Australia recently. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and just kind of um, try to compartmentalize. I think that that's such an important thing. The idea to say, because what you're saying is you're com you, you are compartmentalizing that in a box that's called this too will pass. Sure. I'm with this freak for a period of time. Okay. That's the name of the box. And, you know, let's see how it fills up. Right. I mean, if it's right. untenable, it's untenable. But right. there's, there's so much stuff that I think that we can, that is really quite tenable that we, we make untenable. Right. I think that we paint, we use the widest brush of tenable <laughs> or untenable. I'm not quite sure. Sure. You know, but we are using the widest brush and we're saying 95% of shit is untenable, where I believe that 5% at the most right. is untenable. And that which is bothering you at this moment is bothering you at this moment. And how many moments in your life are you letting pass by and you're making this the one thing that you're spending time with? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an improv scene where you go, we're going to be done with this. Well, not to sound you know too precious, but I mean, life is a series of improv scenes, right? I mean, this is one of the things I say to beginning students who are worried about, you know, when they... Say things like, well, I don't, I'm scared of doing improv. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, first of all, it's not, yeah, you, you've heard it. Um, it's not about what you say. Uh, secondly, here's the dirty little secret. You've been improvising your whole life. I, that's so, I, absolutely. Right? Yeah. We, we, we wake up this. in the morning and, and we think that we know what the fuck is going on. And I love that there's this fallacy that we know what's going to happen and we have no idea. We, we in, think in, in life know. and or improv. Yes, exactly. Kind of both, we really right? think that something's going to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I wake up in the morning, and this is what I felt like when I first came out to L.A. Mm -hmm. Waking up in the morning, and when I first came out here, I was married. Um, my wife did not live out here for a year before because she had work in, in, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So she, well, I lived out here a year without Katie. And then during that time, I remember being really excited on Monday because I thought, Anything could happen today. Right. Anything could happen. I could get a phone call, an audition, a check. Friday night would be, fuck, mm -hmm. the weekend. Nothing's happening. Uh, to right. wake up in the morning and to go, I'm really excited. Now, you and I both are small, small businessmen or yeah. businessmen yeah. creating our own thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? And in that, we have reached this point through all these other things and we've decided not decided because we didn't decide it. We no. are, we, this, you get paid to be Patrick Bristow. Sometimes, yeah. But most times, all the time, right? Okay. Don't you? 
Um, Whatever job you have, that's yeah, yeah. you're oh, getting paid. I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 you're getting paid to be who you are. Right, right. And in in that way, as we keep going with our lives, we just keep saying yes to those things. And and so when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is make sure that the coffee pot is on. I very anal the night before. I set the timer and I set the coffee up oh. so that when I wake up, it's hot coffee. I come, I turn the computer on, I sit down, and I go, what's what's out there for me to take? What's out there for me to take? Right, right. And I get so fucking excited about that. And so many, so many people, I don't know where I was going with this, but it's ADD. So I don't know where, <laughs> you know, for me, I feel like, uh, why not, why not be excited about, whoa, that's it. That's okay. it. Not knowing what's going on. Right. I have no idea what's going on. But yeah. what I'm not going to say is nothing good is going to happen. Oh, if I right. don't know what's going on. So I'm not, my default isn't that's going to suck. Oh, good, good. Right. 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 But you do that too, right? Yeah. I, I can't to. imagine you being where it is that you are, because I think you and I are in the same place for, uh, to a certain extent and not having that excitement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think the, the negative um, dwelling on nothing happening or feeling that nothing's going to happen in your life is, is kind of anti-life. It's certainly anti-improv because, you know, again, one of the things you can learn from that is that moments of inspiration and delightful things happen on the turn of a dime in a nanosecond. You know, a scene can start and you're thinking, this isn't involving to anyone in the room, including the people on stage. Something happens, boom, we're all sucked in. And right there, same thing with life, you know. Um, I've had to learn to be more flexible than I was, say, in my 20s, you know. Um... My uh, partner, who has written a lot about what I'm about to talk about, uh, so it's not like I'm sharing secrets. He blogs about this. He developed uh, a meth addiction about mm, about a, a meth addiction. Yeah, okay. a, a meth addiction um, right. about ten years into our relationship, mm -hmm. and it really threw reality and daily life and everything quite on its ear. Look who's here. I see the that's Jips. Hi, beautiful girl. Uh, Hi, Chihuahua. Yeah, Chihuahua. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen her so much. How are you, man? God, beautiful girl. Oh, she reminds me of Dolores My Chihuahua. Oh, my God. Isn't she gorgeous? Hi. <laughs> oh, you've got better breath than My Chihuahua. you got really a lot better breath than My Chihuahua. Oh, I got a nose kiss. <laughs> yes, you did. You're going to get oh, that. Oh, what a sweetie. Uh, so you're saying... Uh, so you said he's blogged about it, so the meth addiction. Yeah, you know, and when Ten you're dealing with somebody who um, has a, an addiction on and off, and especially with something that kind of, you know, alters them while they're, you know, uh, taking it, you don't know what the next minute is going to offer. Mm -hmm. Hope, terror, right. whatever, right? right. And uh, so it was, like, you know, a long period of, um, of uncertainty on a daily How long? Level. On and off for almost a decade. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What keeps you there? Well, you know, um I just broke absolutely. up with, I just broke up with a girlfriend. Oh. Okay. It was like six months of like <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. which is I mean, you know, it was really intense for six months, but it came to a point where it's like, I can't take this anymore. I just well, can't take this I anymore. I think if this started on the second date or something like that, yeah, I would have um, probably made a different choice. And there was a time where I said, Look, you have to go figure this out yourself when we were separated for, you know, six months or something. Okay. But you know, I um, uh, I absolutely love him. I get him. I saw what was happening, and it wasn't like you bastard. How come you're you know harshing my my mellow here? You know <laughs> you're getting in the way of my career. You know, or it, it was like I, I no, my, my, my priority was was us and me and him. Right. And uh, and he was a huge part of that. So 
of course I wasn't going to, you know, just out of self-preservation and, you know, and I deserve this, uh, abandon, you know? Right. No, it was kind of all hands on deck. Got on, it. And, uh, this happened 10 years into the relationship? About, yeah. So, so, so it's, okay, great. Good. Got it. And, and then on and off for, you know, uh, a little bit less than another decade because we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. So mm -hmm. I, we'll take those, those two decades down to more like eight and a half and nine each one. Got it. The last few years have been great. So um, I have this, there's this book that uh, Studs Terkel wrote called Hope Dies Last. Mm. And it's essentially about, um, well, you know Studs' work, right? I don't. I'm not as smart as I come off. Okay, great. Studs Terkel is, he, is he, he was a Chicago journalist. He's, a, he's just an impresario. He's a right. fucking amazing man. He was an amazing man. And he had a, a show called Studs Place. But what he's also known for doing is recording people and then telling, and then writing, you know, or doing oral histories. Cool. Um, and he wrote this, uh, he had this book called Working, and it was turned into a musical. And oh, yeah, yeah, Broadway, yeah. blah, blah, so that's yeah. Studs. So Studs, um, he went, all of his books are essentially oral histories. And uh, they're all oral histories. And this one is called Hope Dies Last. And it's about medicine and people saying they thought they were going to die or somebody that is dying and what they're doing. And the yeah. word, but the title always got to me. Yeah. Hope Dies Last. Because we always have hope. And this is what I think about hope. Oh. Fuck hope. <laughs> because hope is not, hope is you sitting on the sidelines of your life. Uh-huh. Saying, I, there's nothing I can do except sit here. Right. And hope that something good comes out of it. Right. Now what, then, if, if, fuck, if it's fuck hope, then what is it that we hold on to? Faith, trust, I have faith that this is going to work out because it's worked out from the past and right. I am going to maintain this faith and this energy right. with my partner, with, with my partner, whatever, sure. whatever. And, and, and I feel like the moment that, because people go, oh, I'm really, I hope, I hope I don't get cancer. And it's like, Jesus Christ, what are you fucking even doing? What are you doing? You know, but how, I hope that today goes a lot better than yesterday because yesterday was fucking horrible. Yeah. And I'm going, why are you bringing in yesterday to today? Right, right. Because your entire life is... Well, you know, I mean, there's different types of hope and there's different types of faith, you know? Um, it, there's the, the faith or the hope that things are going to work out the way that you want them to. Your expectations? Which, yes, which is a recipe for, you know, disappointment and pain. Right. Um, and then there's the faith that you'll be able to deal with it even if it does turn into a shit show. But that's faith. That's, yeah, faith. Absolutely. That's not hope. And, I, and for me, I'm going faith. Yeah, rock on with faith. Rock on but with hope, trust. But hope combined with working towards something, like I hope this works out and I'm taking the action toward it, is a different stripe of the hope, maybe it's a totally different term, than the, the sitting on the bench on the sidelines. Right, right, for. right. Well, there's a lot of people who go, oh, I really hope I get this audition. And it's like, what, what does that do? What are you doing? What, do, what is, I mean, for me, I really mm. think about what is, I, I hope I get that part. Like, what are you doing spending time with that? What does yeah. that serve you? I mean, I understand what you're saying too, because I really, I want that word hope to, I want that word hope to mean something. Yeah, I really yeah. do. Because it's such a lovely it's, word. It is a lovely word. It's a it? lovely word. But when you, <laughs> but I've really taken, I've looked at hope from both sides. I've looked at hope and I've gone, what is, what, what, what do I do when I hope? What am I doing? Right. Because it seems such a different feeling than the word faith. Well, faith makes yeah. me breathe and hope makes me sit. Yeah. Hope, um, at least in, in that form, really just might be uh, an, an excuse for inaction. 
in action. Yes, in action. Yeah. Yes. Um, I hope he comes through. As opposed yeah, to because I mean I had that thought in my I had a lot during the day like you know oh, I hope there's parking I hope there's this I hope there's that, and um, as opposed to there's going to be parking there's going to be this there's going to be that and I use that sometimes too right you know that kind right. of and and it's amazing how how much that that can work, um, yeah I, I haven't really given it much thought but I'm going to now yeah at least I hope I will. <laughs> I hope I'll have time. But what you did say was really interesting was that because you're you're essentially talking about here we go. You're essentially talking about manifestation right. of that. I'm going to get a parking space. I'm going to get work. I am fucking going to get work. Yeah. And uh, I have a friend who she's going through some fucking bullshit right mm. now, and she's going through a lot of this bullshit because she's bringing in a, and I've said it before she's not just schlepping around baggage she's schlepping around a baggage carousel which Jeez. keeps pooping out baggage and I'm going why the fuck are you holding on to that why are you holding on to that belief that demon that history why are you holding on to that because right. what's happening is people are seeing you We're, and we live in this time now where every every utterance that we say echoes forever you know and so unfortunately sometimes right and when it echoes forever people are going to go uh oh i'm i'm getting into her echo zone and i don't want to be in that echo zone right. as opposed to if there's going to be an echo let the echo be let's go let's mm -hmm. do this yeah let's move forward let's be here yeah and for people that are in that place and can be in that place, that is great. I think sometimes people are in different places and they're not going to get out of it necessarily quickly uh, or until some readiness happens in them. You know? Don't you think, okay, yeah, I, I totally agree. But I also think that if you, if you want an epiphany, you've had the epiphany. Hmm. If you say, I want an epiphany, boom, you've had it. Yeah, right. And so at that moment, it's you, it's you living in the wake of that action, mm -hmm. of the action of saying, uh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm making a change. Right, right. And not going, but in the past, I, the changes that I wanted to make haven't worked out. You go, fuck all that. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's. But people do it. I think constantly. people do it. Const they do do it constantly. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I um, I recently uh, went back to therapy for a tune-up, and um, I, love I tune -up. found. Oh, um, I, I think it should be required. Um, I uh, found out that the therapist that I'm working with is of the psychoanalytic school, and I was like, oh, okay, so that's kind of Freudian, kind of going back. And I've usually just had, you know, either Rogerian or um, you know, positive regard type or um, cognitive behavioral, you that's know, models. Yeah, right. Great stuff. Um, and I was a little bit, a little skeptic, but as sessions went on and stuff, I really found that a lot of world beliefs were formed in those early years when I was a little sponge, and that's how I saw the world worked. And I had not really revisited that to revise the model. So you start finding out, like, oh, wow, the decisions of a four-year-old, the decisions of a 10-year-old, the decisions of an 18-year-old, which are even worse sometimes, um, are part of my navigation system right right and uh it's uh, it's really interesting i um 
I wonder how many of us are walking around with outmoded software and need upgrades. <laughs> I totally understand. You know? um, this relationship that I just had, there were a lot of what Eckhart Tolle would call pain bodies that, that she, she would say something and I'd strike out. I'm going, what is that? And then I really thought about it. And in all my years of therapy, because it's cognitive behavioral therapy, right? That's the phrase. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because of cognitive behavioral therapy, we don't really look at, at, at my relationship with my mother. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. But my mother had, had, and not so much anymore, a temper. Mm. And I would, watch her, I would watch her lash out at my dad, and I would watch her hold on to that. And I would, as a kid, as mm -hmm. a little four-year-old sponge, I would watch that happen. And, and I realized, oh, wait a minute. That's it. That's uh -huh. it. That's how she, you do it. That's it. That's how you. That's how you make that person not want to have arguments. That's how you make that person fear arguments. Fear right. because I feared the argument, so I would lie. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. In order to get around it, totally. And get I it. would lie. And some of these lies are little lies, and some of these lies are larger lies. Sure. And I would go, oh, okay. Um, I don't want to have this argument. I don't want to cause pain. I don't want to do that. So I am going to bullshit, <laughs> and hope to God that we just forget about that and we move on. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Early learning. Early learning. And it's also early learning, but it's also those. Remember being 14 and 15? You know? Yeah. Where did you grow up? Burbank. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm, which I'm, is, I'm a Valley boy. Yeah, right. Which is so different. You know, which, I mean, to be out here and to be, to be out here and to be growing up gay, it must be, I mean, it's totally different than in Missouri or Oklahoma. So, in a way, you might have had a, a, a you might have had a less steep uh, incline. Yeah, I don't know um, uh, the the specific angle of the playing field uh, mm -hmm. back in the seventies compared to other parts of the United States. I mean, I know that um, that nobody was out even in high school back then. You know, um, I'm late seventies right. high school you know generation, uh, and you had that sense of like I really have to hide this, you know. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, you talked about like lying to avoid conflict. I was one of those fanciful liars through, you know, childhood up to high school. And it became a very useful smokescreen in those high school years to get the attention off the, you know, potential suspicion that, you know, that I was gay. Right. Right. So, uh, I was just more sophisticated. I was just artsier. I was, you know, uh, and, uh, and throwing up smoke screens everywhere. Oh, and I was Russian too, by the way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. The Irish is Patty's pig. And that came out of a really bad, uh, toxic improv moment. Um, 10th grade, I'm at a new high school. I transferred there for the music department cause I was a serious clarinetist at the, at clarinetist Are you at still, the time. Uh, do you still play clarinet? No, my embouchure is gone. I uh -huh. can't. So, um, and it's too loud, you know? Right. So, uh, but that's, that was my, um, my passion at the time. So I'm sitting there in an English class, you know, first day and two girls in front of me are saying, what did you do this summer? And one goes, oh, we went to Ireland. And she goes, cool. Uh, so all, all the guys, um, as hot as they are in the Irish spring commercials. And the other girl goes, no, she goes, they look like him and points back to me. And you know, not an improviser yet, but I knew that I had, to, I had to respond quickly and specifically. So my response in my 15-year-old brilliant little mind was like, uh, I'm Russian. So I didn't even hear the diss of like, you, we don't like the way you look. I, right. didn't, I didn't deal with that. I threw up like a smoke screen that 
discombobulated. Them. <laughs> well, guess what I had to be for the next three years. Really? Yes. But not with an accent. No, no, no. Right. But just no, holding. My, my grandparents got out during the revolution. You know, look at all the information you oh, need in sure. order to make I that shit work. I saw Nicholas and Alexandra. I need, oh, there were jewels <laughs> sewn into hems, everything. And so that became this hilariously dysfunctional fantasy that I didn't believe for a second. Right. But that was that was keeping, uh, in my little mind, keeping things at bay, right. I think. Because inside I knew, like, I don't want to be really seen for who I am because I don't even know what it is yet. Right. But I know whatever it is, I don't want to be seen for it. It's interesting that, that what you did with your sexuality, you substituted with nationality, which is such oh, yeah. an interesting thing. Well, it just came in the moment, you know? And, right. And it, I, I think the, 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 the smokescreen for sexuality became an ancillary benefit Certainly. from this stupid retort. Right. You know, that right. followed me for three right. years. And was, right. Oh, and then senior year, a girl comes to, you know, into the music department. And guess what she was, Dave? Russian? Yeah. No! Yeah. Oh, no! Your ex nemesis, don't talk Boom. to Natasha. It's, yeah. <laughs> that might have been her name, actually. So, uh, Patrick yeah. Bristow sounds like certainly something from, uh, like, any, any Dublin. There's got to be a hundred Patrick Bristows. There's Bristows all over Ireland and right. England. Have you been there to Ireland? Yeah, uh, Dublin in the uh -huh. mid-80s. Right. I'm going in, I'm going in November. Oh. I'm going in November, going to London. Totally and jealous. Dublin and Dublin and London. Yeah. Um, yeah, that idea of, and it's also it's like going back to that, the idea of one lie, uh -huh. suddenly you go, well, here we go. And you open the door going, how do I get in this room? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Kremlin, uh, Nicholas, Czar, uh, Pogrom. Uh, yeah, I didn't right? deal with any Pogrom. But, but, but all, but that, that first initial lie. Yeah. And I lo also love the idea of how improv and lying are very similar because you hold on to one story, that's your point of view, and eventually you're going to change it. Mm -hmm. You're going to change your point of view when your breath changes. You're going to change your point of view. And, but we hold on to it as long as it serves us. Right. And then there's that moment where you surrender it. Yeah. yeah. That's surrender, man. Yeah. That surrender, that feeling of surrender, that letting go of that which no longer serves you. Which can really be actually kind of exhilarating. It really is Once you've survived a bunch of surrenders and you realize, oh, this isn't the end and it's not death and humiliation. But sometimes those earlier ones, whether in improv or life, you know, can just be, I can't let go of this. And we've all seen, you know, the, the, um, the person in improv who just is not realizing or not allowing things to change. Right. Because they've got an agenda but in the But we've scene. all done it. What's that? We've all done it. Oh, absolutely. In our lives. Where you go, how long am I going to have this relationship? Or yeah. whatever that relationship is. Right. And, and so <laughs> I'm watching somebody going, oh, clear. Let it go. And I'm thinking, tell myself that. Fucking let it go. Yeah, yeah. Because the moment that you let it go, you realize that it isn't. The past is not prologue. Right, right. Right. And it's the same thing in a scene, where a scene has a MacGuffin at the beginning of a scene, and then something happens, and we surrender the MacGuffin. Right. But I got to tell you, you know, again, I, I, I think you know the person I was dating. And um, she mentioned you. She brought your name up. So Well, everyone knows me because I'm very, very famous. Very, very. I'm not gonna mention, well, I'm, I'm not going to mention her name, but it's interesting. Like, so I, my, my point more is uh, just to say how, how thrilling it was to go, I'm done with this. Uh. Oh, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And it's exactly what you say where you go, okay. 
And this is what also happens. When you break, when you break up, when you surrender, when you let go of something, you're not letting go of something. You're embracing something. You're not just surrendering something because we can't just surrender and not embrace something else. Right. So what we're surrendering is our truth. We're letting go to this thing which isn't working anymore. It's not to say that it's a lie, but it's to say that it's not our truth. There's got to be a word that isn't. You know what, you know what it, I mean? Yeah, it's not, it's not as um, potently here and now as it might have been while it was useful before. Clearly, and there, yeah. there has to be a word, and maybe we'll just call it bristowing. So, uh, because I think bristowing is lying about your nationality. <laughs> Right. Damn. I think we have to it's find just, another one. <laughs> um, so it's that idea of, of the moment that I let go. I woke up in the morning after this all happened and I thought to myself, oh. Right. Right. And I could do all these things that I've wanted to do that I've been afraid to do. Ah. In the context of that relationship. Exactly. Oh, well, there you go. I Deal mean, with it's the like, does relationship enhance or diminish? Clearly. The acid test. Right. You know? um, and, you know, back to mine, even though there were challenges, mine greatly enhances. And, you know, if it wasn't for Andy, I would be really um, rigid and kind of priggish, you know. Right. Um, and uh, if it wasn't for me, I think he'd be something um, a, a little wilder than he is. Um, but it balances in, right. a, in, in a really nice way. God, that's so nice. I mean, the idea of partnership in this world, the idea of, of we... I've had to allow myself to be changed by him. Right. And vice versa. But isn't that true of anything? You know, I mean, there, there comes a point, and it's an interesting, there's a word for it, and I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's Latin or Greek or something, sure. where a caterpillar is, goes through this thing where they're a caterpillar, they're solely a caterpillar, that is what it is that they are, and then they start going, what's happening? I'm not feeling right, this isn't feeling right, this isn't feeling right. And it goes from half of it not feeling right to most yeah. of it feeling wrong, uh -huh. and there comes a point where they go, fuck it, something happened, I'm going to surrender that, which I am not, yeah. metamorphosize, yes, I'm yes. going to metamorphosize that, and then there's a period of cocooning, yeah, and then yeah. you're a butterfly. So at some point, there's a tipping point for all of us where we go, okay, I'm, uh, I'm gonna fight that. Right. And then as time goes on, you say, it takes more energy to, it takes more energy to fight that than right. it is to accept right. that. Yeah. And again, if you're accepting something that is not untenable, then that acceptance can really lead to growth, you know? And maybe uh, if you accept something that is untenable, that can lead to growth too. But I mean, uh, that's, I don't think I could do that, you know? I, I, but I think our definition of untenable mm. It's vague, right? It's, it's, it's vague, subjective. but also, it's, yes, exactly. And what I think it ends, what ends up happening is we dilute it. It starts out being untenable, and then we start adding tenable to it, or <laughs> patience, or or, or 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 mindfulness. You know, right. a, 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 to to be present with what yeah. that is, and also to look at it and to say, I am going to be present with that untenableness right. and see what it feels like. Right. You Running going, away from something sometimes is much worse than, and, and the dread associated with it and the fear, so much worse than going, all right, roll up the sleeves, facing it. You know? What I think, because I was talking to my friend Rachel Hamilton and we were talking about the word dread because I was, mm -hmm. I was dreading stuff and I was going dread, 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 dread. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, 
panic, I understand the uh, the evolution of why we panic. I get mm -hmm. it. There's a mastodon that's that we're going to be mastodon. Sure, we have adrenal glands. They know when to squirt. Exactly right. And yeah. so we're doing that um, moment. Uh, you know, uh, love like those emotions. But I'm thinking love connects us to the the, the, the forwarding of the species, at least in humans, uh, as far as I know. Uh, there's other. I mean, I guess. Ocelots must love ocelots. So um, there's that. Don't get away from it, David. Don't get away from it. Oh, dread. So right. what is dread? Where did dread come from, and why do we have it? Um, next on Rosowski and Bristow. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, why do we? What is that? What does that I, serve? To me, it feels like the uh, the the mirror image of regret. You know, it's like there's there's the, you know talking about somebody with a lot of baggage and all this past you know, um, stuff that's agitating. And then the dread is not about the present, it's about the future. Clearly. Which were wise people have told us not to live in either. Right. And um, and and so that dread is almost just like future regret. You right. know, it, it, it's just this but what, what, what's the What purpose, like regret doesn't serve a purpose either. I don't think an ocelot, you know, has regret that it's they didn't not. phone the other ocelot. You yeah. know, I don't know that they do that, but where does, just in the, how does it serve? You mean what's it? How function? does it serve us? Because I know that again, all those things that we talk about—the squirting of the adrenal glands, like those sort of things—but dread or flight makes sense, yeah. Right, exactly. But the moment that we go, okay, so dread. When I think of when I think of panic, I think of movement, mm -hmm. or I think of alertness. Right. When I think of joy, I think of of, of of buoyancy, of standing up. When I think of dread, I just sit. I just sit. That's what dread makes you sit. Again, it's it's an, an excuse or reason for inaction, just like the hope thing. I got it, right? But, but where, so did, now, where the fuck did that come from? Right, I, you know, like what is that? And I think when I, because I didn't feel dread for years, and then suddenly in this relationship, I started feeling dread. I'm like, oh, this is not good. None of this is good. None of this is good. None of this is good. Do you think there again there are you know different on a spectrum of dread that there is that really unhealthy version that keeps us from acting on things and, and just feels like crap and that there might be at sometimes a little bit of a more positive side of dread which keeps you from making an impulsive action because you dread something and then you've got a little time to work out okay what's the best way to deal with this right but isn't the best way of dealing with this treading water so you're dreading water you know you're treading water you're dreading water so you're treading water yeah. in order to go how do i get out of this as opposed right. to I think dread leads us to that moment, and we do have to, we, for the most part, we have to go through that moment. Dread always leads us to an action. It's the filling up the balloon to pop the balloon to get a new balloon. Ultimately, hopefully. But I think I wonder if dread sometimes um, actually leads to permanent inaction and being incapacitated. I believe that. I mean, how many people do we know that are here that that are here in LA that are going that that are dreading making a change in their life that they need to make in order for them to butterfly it up? And that's to say, right? They're like you. Are, you are still doing the industry stuff. You're doing movies, probably more movies now than television. Is that true? You know, it's kind of here and there, uh -huh. you know? Um, uh -huh. Actually, there's, my career's not been very active. Uh, not in terms your, of new your career, your, your film career. Yeah. Because everything else, there's other things. Right, but no, film, TV, any of it has is, right. is, is, is been remarkably, um, uh, remarkably uh, slowed down over the last couple of years. And I'm kind of fine with it. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. The idea of 
like like to be you're not kind of fine with it you're fine with it yeah you know you're fine with it and I think there are a lot of people who are saying I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get another job if I don't get a booking I don't know what I'm going to do oh my god the phone's not ringing I'm going to wake up tomorrow yeah. and nothing's going to happen as opposed to going what the fuck are you what else are you doing not what else can you do but what else in your life that's bringing you joy right. are you doing and to look at that and to go you know what I think that that's where I think that that's where you 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 might want to look at that because yeah. that's that's warmth. Where you're going is darkness. Right. Yeah, kind of follow your bliss. It's going to lead you at least to you know a place where there's possibility and yes. everything. Yes, it's not just possibility, but it's yeah. also that it's not. It is possibility, but it's also there's a joy there. Yeah. And let's look at the word bliss because what ends up happening is that sentence "follow your bliss" is to become it become a hippie cliche. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and yet I think that what you've done and what I've done. Is and and you, we both do very specific. We don't. We both do specific things. <laughs> yes, we do. You know, and those specific things are specific to the job requirements of being Patrick Briscoe, Bristow. The job requirements yeah. of being Dave Rosaski. Like, what are those job requirements? Right. And those specific things are things that we discovered and then went, oh, I, I like that. Oh, I like that. Right. Oh, I like that. I yeah. like that. And the idea of going on an audition to me, to Abbott Kinney. Four o'clock on Friday. Oof! Right? Oh yeah. Like there's that dread. For anyone who doesn't know, you know, it, it's when you get a commercial audition that is on the other side, the most congested stretch of town during rush hour on Friday. Yeah, it's not going in for a half hour. It, it's it's half to three quarters of your day. Right. You know. You might as well camp it out in Santa Monica, which isn't bad. Right. But you know what? I don't want to do that. Well, also, uh, other you were in La Cunada. Wait, suffered. where were you? Where were you? You were in a where you were, were oh, where, you, where I was living yes, before in the house before you got uh, yeah Mount Washington yes exactly so you know right and, and, and it sounds like whining complaining like oh I've got to drive over here for an audition it's like no the, a lot of your life suffers if you're getting a lot of commercial auditions and you don't live in that area it's, right. it's rough it's rough and, and I and I salute all the people that are doing it clearly. you know and that are getting out there all the time right I do too. But I think that right now there are people that are going, oh, there are also people that are going, I haven't had an audition in a long time. And I'm going, what the fuck can you do? And I think that it's because of this relationship that I had where I was looking at somebody who clearly had these awesome mad skills and their demons, they were having demon stew for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yep. It's like, fuck all that. Fuck it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I totally get it. And I've seen people who are like really wanting help and really motivated on one level and then stuck in the trench they've been walking in a circle that is now like seven feet deep and they cannot seem to find their way out of they it. They cannot seem to find their way out of it. So what's happening while they're doing and digging that thing, while they're doing that little sambo around the tree thing, what it is that they're doing is they're not being, they're not, I believe that they're, unless that there's a medical condition, they're not aware that they're doing that. They're not aware right. that they are waking up in the morning and putting the hair shirt on every day and nobody's <laughs> asking them to wear it. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so to say, stop right now. Take a moment. Take a moment right now. The only source of suffering is non-acceptance. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is happening? And you want to get out of the trench? You don't even need a fucking ladder because, baby, there's no trench. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. It's a mental trench. But when we're in it, and I've been in it, you know, different trenches um, – uh, some that were kind of like mazes, but not the fun kind, you know, in 18th century England with the parasols. I didn't think just... of those as fun at all. I got to tell you, when I look at those, I'm like, why the fuck do I want to get into that? And I don't want to get into it, right? But anyway, go ahead. All right. Um, when I have been in those, uh, 
you know, it almost could be somewhat chemical because there are these blinders. And for whatever reason, until I did get out, I wasn't ready to get out. Maybe someone said something that inspired um, or something shifted, you know, and then the way out was was clear. Or maybe I just life, some occurrence just catapulted me out of it. And, it was, and I got out without any work on my part at all. That's what you perceive happened. Maybe. But the, but the tip of the iceberg has the iceberg underneath it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what pops out. So I believe that you got yourself, that you, that something did spark you, but you were yeah. also led toward that Flint, toward Flintland where the sparks exist. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were led toward Flintland oh, where there's going to be sparks. You know, yeah. you, your journey took you to that place. Right. And, and the idea, and again, the idea of hope, is it hope or is it faith? Oh, I have faith that this is going to. I have, I have faith that I'm going to. And the moment that, yeah, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, scripting one's life. You know, you can't script an improv, as we know. Right. Um, you can't control it. There's obviously actions you can take, behaviors that you can foster, all these kind of things that might up your chances for achieving what it is you want to achieve to become a professional photographer or something like that. Um, but. Uh, it, at the end of the day, I wonder sometimes when I'm looking at other people in their dynamics, if I was born them, if I had their exact genes, if I had their exact upbringing, their brain chemistry, their education, wouldn't I be doing what they're doing even if I'm judging what they're doing, even if I'm hating what they're doing? Because if, if not, then we get into the question of soul or spirit. Because if somebody was me with my exact package being born the day I was, in the body, with the genes I have, with my parents, in that marriage, in that upbringing, those times, those exact experiences, wouldn't they be me and have chosen to wear this very preppy shirt today? Or right, or not. Or, or who the fuck knows? Right. I'm not going to get an answer to the question. No, no. But it's made I, me a little bit less judgmental. I'm having a harder time holding people accountable uh-huh. because I'm thinking... If I were you, I would have done the same thing. Or if I were you, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. And if you were me, I wouldn't want you to tell me what to do. Well, yeah, but, uh, humans generally don't like to be told what to do, period, right? Yeah, yeah, but you know what? You know who tells us what to do? Us. A lot of it, yeah. And, that's, and yeah. that bullshit history, like I'm the kind of people who are my family or we're the type of people who did it, did Russians do this and Irish people do that. Okay. Uh, that idea of... Uh, uh, again, this woman that I was dating would bring up, oh, Jesus Christ, am I really doing this? Uh, what, I, yeah. what she would bring up, well, I'm a daughter of a woman that was a daughter of the Depression era. Well, that's different. Going, that's, that's an excuse but, and reducing a human being to... But that's what she did to herself, you yeah. know what I mean? And how many of us do that? How many of us will, will do that, will say, I'm the type of people who, and it's like, what would you feel like if I told you you're, you're the, the type, type of people? people? Right. And why are you, because the moment yeah. that I say, the moment that I say I'm the type of people, or, or when I hear myself say that, yeah. immediately I stop and I say, wait a minute, I am, I just narrowed my possibilities down. Absolutely. It, it, it reduces so much. So if someone tells you the type of person, it's insulting. And, and it should be, in a way, because they're reducing a human being with all their capabilities and potentials uh, to uh, this category and the limits that are placed on that category. The person who defines themselves in that way is, in a way, kind of giving themselves an excuse. But they're doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. But yes. they're, they're not, they don't realize they're insulting themselves. Exactly. And yeah, so yeah. when... And, and, and I stop my students when I hear them say, you know what? I have a problem with... No, 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 no. No. You don't have a problem with... You had a problem with. Right now, we're going to look at that problem and say it's not a problem. Right. 
I know on a slightly different level so many times when after uh, an improv happens and I'm like, what happened back there? You know, I didn't side coach it maybe, where you seem to kind of like check out person's that, well, it seemed to me that this piece of information and this one weren't agreeing and I got kind of caught up on that. I said, so you saw a problem where there wasn't one. Right. Because now that we're talking about it after the fact, we can see that those things don't really conflict. But in the moment, you thought they were a conflict, so you created a problem and then lost the opportunity to be involved the rest of the time. So right. save the judgment for after class, after afterwards, if you want to have any at all, or let me do it during the scene. Sure. But you know, just just go ask for you know uh, what do you call it? Uh, not don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You'll get the forgiveness. Everyone has a suck pass in my class. You right. Know? regenerating like a starfish suck pass <laughs> but um but yeah thinking there's a problem where there isn't one or it's not as big it's interesting because when you said that what i i uh, what i envision in my head is build a bridge between acceptance and not non-acceptance right and, and build a bridge between this this doesn't work with this this right hand doesn't work with this left hand and what's the bridge between what this doesn't work with this left hand and this doesn't work with this right hand is me saying they work yeah the, the fact that, that, oh, funny Trump's logic, yeah. and at some point you're going to go, yes, to that thing. <laughs> and when we go, yes, to that thing, that's when shit happens. Mm -hmm. That's when it all, I think that we become buoyant. There's an effervescence to say, when I improvise, it's not fiction, it's a dream. Oh, that's, that's very cool. Because it's, it's not... Because sometimes when you're, I mean, sometimes when you're dreaming and you go, I, I wish I had a, a clam opener. It's like, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Things make sense in dreams that don't make sense in the logical. We accept the fact that an elevator in a department store opens up and our cat who's been dead for 20 years walks out. Absolutely. And is shopping. Right. And it's you don't fine. go, how'd that happen? You go, oh, look, they're snuffy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what... Boy, oh boy, there's just so many, I think there's so many things that are defined that, that if we say, what if we remove that definition? What if we remove that definition and just accept what it is that's happening? This show, Transparent, have you seen it? No. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's my, it, it, Jill Soloway, it, it's a show about, Jill Soloway and Faith Soloway uh, wrote that's it great. and other people wrote it. It's a great show. Um, Jeffrey Tambor's in it. Uh, it's about a uh, these two characters, their father suddenly becomes, decides that he is a transgender person uh -huh. and they have to, they accept it. And it's, the title is Transparent. Oh, right. You know, I read about that when it was, I think, when it got green letters like that. Got um, it. And what a team, my God. Right. So all that is, if you say, if you say there is no gender, what does it do to your life? And just say, you're talking about spirit earlier, that it's just spirit, it's not gender. I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to that. Oh, you can't be attracted to that. Why can't you be attracted to that? Because you're the same gender. What if we don't define gender and right. we just say attraction trumps gender? Uh-huh. Funny trumps logic. Yeah. The idea that, that joy trumps this organizational management fucking bullshit thing that we've got to put <laughs> together in order to make shit work. Right. You know, planning. Joy trumps planning. What the fuck feels good? Right. I mean, it's generally a good indicator of whether you're on the right path, unless, of course, you're a, a, a psycho killer and feeling good is, you know, killing people and putting them in their basement. Well, right. But short of that. <laughs> but the thing is that that is that 5% that we're talking about. Exactly. That 3%, 2%, 1%, 1%. Like, that isn't the 99%. Yeah. No, chances are, if you want to talk about chances, no one's out to get you. Right. 
And that phrase, like, it, uh, what is it? Uh, that phrase, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Yes. And I'm like, go fuck like yourself. T-shirt. Go fuck your, right? Go fuck yourself about that. Why do you want to hold on to that? Yeah, it's a joke, don't you think? Or, I think that is a I, joke. I hope but somebody is. just someone just referred to it. And someone just said it to me as if it's a, that's their truth. As if it's an act, like a maxim or something. Right. Yeah. As if it's a maxim. I'm like, no, that's not true. And again, what is it that you're doing with the world that is is at you right now? Yeah. What are you? How are you looking at it? Well, that gets into a worldview and, and, and paradigm. I mean, you know, if again, if somebody learned early, maybe that they. Um, you know, the, the world was a scary place, you know, the rest of their lives, they potentially could be walking around thinking, you know, everyone's out to get me. And I, I think some seeds of racism may be born in well, this. Well, let's go back to what we're talking about. There's an eight-year-old boy somewhere who's a racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to that that we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, how does that happen? Well, we know how it happens. Yeah. He wasn't born that way. Right. So for some reason, in his universe, that is, that's how it works. Right. And it's just, and it, and let's so let's take that that paradigm and let's sure. put it in everything else. Yeah. Let's just say in my if, uh, if you go okay, um, instead of saying racist, what if you're uh, uh, cynical or you know, and you go well, this is going to work. This is going to work. You're eight year old and you're cynical. Nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work. Yeah. Or what if you're eight and you go, this is going to work. And then you have people around you who say, why did you even think it wasn't? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that I don't uh, raise any kids, that I haven't raised any kids, because it seems like a terrifying um, experience to me <laughs> from looking from the outside in. So much responsibility, and and so many things are formed during those years, you know, that are going to shape the rest of their lives. The, that which you think is minor is not, is 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 not. They see everything. I just actually worked with some kids on a, um, a, a showcase uh, thing, and they were, you know, um, professional or pre-professional kids, which, you know, uh, sometimes kids really uh, cotton to it and, it, and it doesn't scar them, and sometimes kids working as professionals can be a bad thing. But these kids were terrific, and i got to tell you, the way they took to learning improv and the way they took to taking direction on their sketches and... The, observ the observational skills they had were so acute. And of course, having been teaching adults for decades, it has been a long time since I've worked with you know, tweens and teens. And it just, it just reminded me of how spongy you know, they are and, uh, and, and acutely observant. But, and, and that's what we do when we improvise. Yeah. One would hope. I'm saying hope. Well, well, the yeah, idea yeah. that the idea that to start an improv scene with a childlike childlike mind, a childlike wonder, you know, like the yeah. idea of like a stranger in a strange land going, "What the fuck is happening here?" But not in a bad way, right? You know, and and when so when I, when we improvise, we start a scene. It's like, oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. Oh, that's going on. Oh, that's going on. So in a way, kids are. I mean, as we know, they're great. They are sponges. Yeah, and they can have that 360 degree awareness. They can also get, you know, like a, a cat attracted to a shiny object and then not aware of what's going on. Right. But when they have that full awareness, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, you know. Um, interesting thing about uh, kids in improv, we uh, 
in, in Edinburgh, uh, we did family-friendly shows with Puppet Up, which is a dirty puppet show with right. Henson Company that you know I work with. And we did, we, per the contract, we had to do some family-friendly shows. And uh, the first time we were there in 2006, the shows were okay. They were well-received. People love seeing Henson puppets. You kind of can't go wrong, right. right? But the improvs themselves, which, of course, we kept totally G-rated, uh, were, were fine. The team was doing really good. But the kids' level of um, of wonder at it was not as much as, as I would see with the adult audiences. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not a study, and I'm sure people have done improv for kids, and and it, it's you know been different than what I observed. But what I took away was a suspicion that adults watching other adults work without a script are amazed when it works, forgiving when it doesn't work for the most part, and also kind of like. How do they get up there and do that? How do they have the balls? I could never do that, right? They understand the inherent risk of the adult ego getting up and going, I might end up ridiculous here, you know? And the kids not having that, uh, that adult baggage and, and, and doing play pretend all the time, right. to them it's just like, yeah, yeah, right, all right. That was the sense I got. And again, it's not a scientific study. It's a very limited sample. I don't have a double blind on it or anything right. like that. right. But that was my sense. And when we went back again uh, and they said, well, you do a kid's show, I, uh, I said to Brian Hansen, I said, you know what? If, that, if we have to, yeah, we can do family friendly and stuff, but I'm going to stack it more with, you know, as, as much as I can, more with the, uh, the, 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 the puppet um, choreography pieces we have, the set pieces. Got it. And a little bit less improv because I just found that they didn't dig it as much. I totally understand that. I but totally understand singing it. and stuff and everyone's right. happy. Right, right. Well, yeah, because at that point, it's not. Oh, there's not the wonder of they're in this situation. It's that they're all doing this at the same time. Yes. Or the, you know what I mean? They're singing right. at the same time. The music is good. It's catchy tunes. Yes. I love the idea of the the adults watching that thing and the ego getting so in, like, just framing the entire event. The ego saying, oh, my God, how do they do that? I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Why are they doing that? How are they doing that? And what essentially we're asking adults to do when we, when we have them improvise is we're reteaching them how to play. Right. And we're saying, hey, baby, I'm not teaching you nothing. I'm just exposing you to this thing that you already right. have. Reminding you. Right. Yeah. I'm reminding you that this is where you came from. And we yeah. go back to the idea of you had it then when you were a kid. You, someone showed that to you, or nobody right. even showed that to you, or maybe they did show that to you. I don't know how the yeah. fuck that works. But in your youth, you had that, and at some time, some point, you decided to deny it, mm -hmm. going back to that, to hold on to it, to hide it, to Russian it, to Bristow it. You know, you decided <laughs> to do that, and you're holding on to that. And here's the thing be Irish. Yeah, yeah. 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 Let's end there. Yes, everyone, be Irish. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.